Have you ever done something and later realized you shouldn't have done it? So in an effort to justify yourself and hopefully save face, you say, sorry, that's not like me. A lot of times we can excuse our actions and see ourselves in a much better light than we actually are. That's why sometimes we have to just be honest with ourselves and say, no, that is you. Today, our lead pastor, Van Cody, is going to talk about the character trait of determination in our series called, No, That Is You. No, that is you. I don't know if you've ever had anybody call you out. You say, oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't, I didn't mean that. No, I didn't want to. No, that's not really who I am. And, and they love you so much, they say, no, that is you. That really is you. And so what we're going to do, we're going to spend about six weeks sharing with you about character traits. Now, don't get afraid of that word character because your character is really who you are. As a matter of fact, somebody once said that uh, everything starts with a thought. You have a thought and then from that you get an attitude. From that you take an action. And then that actions, those actions, they form your character. And then your character actually dictates your destiny. So, you know, character has a lot to do with who we are and what we do. And we're just going to go through that. And, and the way we're going to do it, we're going we're gonna to take a positive characteristic trait, kind of, kind of compare it to a, a, the negative side of that trait. And we're going to do that for six weeks. And I believe we're going to be better off after we're finished. Amen? So, uh, a lot of times I'll talk and I'll tell people, I say, you know, life is short, but life is long. And when I, when I say that, I, there's always a puzzled look on people's face. You know, well, is, is it short or is it long? Well, you know, it really depends on where you, what's your vantage point. If you, if you compare this life to eternity, well, then it's, it's very, very short. I mean, can you imagine? You know, it's just a bleep on the radar. But if you compare it to lifespan, it's very long. Life can get very long sometimes, especially in negative situations. I can remember when I used to work, you know, and I, I mean, I like my job, but it's like the afternoons just went so slow. It was like, is this day ever going to end? Will five o'clock ever come? And now it's like, all I do is make coffee in the morning, fix the bed. And then the next thing I know, I'm, I'm t- we're taking the bed down. It's like days just go just like that. So life is short, but life is long. And today we're, we're going to look at the, the characteristic of discouragement versus determination. Determination is really where we want to head. And uh, the thing about discouragement is that it's real and that it, it's, it's something we have to overcome in life. Seven times in the book of Revelation, Jesus said this to the church. He said, to him who overcomes, I will do this or I will do that. And in, in the third chapter and the 21st verse, the seventh time he says it, he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. So this thing has a great end to it uh, if we overcome. The key is here, folks, listen, if there are promises to the overcomer, then there evidently is something that we will have to overcome in this life. And no one can run from it. This thing of discouragement is real. And it knocks on everybody's door. If it hasn't knocked on your door yet, it will. 
And sometimes it comes on very strong and sometimes it's just a fleeting thing that happens for an afternoon or certain situations and other times people really, really get discouraged. It's so real that I picked out three people in the Bible that suffered through discouragement because sometimes we think that because people are in the Bible that they're somehow another superhuman, that they never really feel anything. But the thing I love about the Bible is that it's a real book written by a real God about real people in true life situations. And so you can relate to all these. Some of you are going to relate to these three people right here. The first is a woman by the name of Rachel. Rachel was barren. She couldn't have children. It got so bad that in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, she said this. She said, give me children or else I'm going to die. I mean, because, you know, when women can't have children, that, that's a big deal. It really is. It's a big deal today. But it was a mega deal back then. I mean, look, so much so that if, if they couldn't have a baby, they'd go find a woman to get with their husband and have a baby. I mean, it was a big deal. And she was frustrated. And what she was, she was really, really uh, kind of fighting resentment uh, because of an unchangeable in her life. She couldn't change the situation. You know, when I was growing up, my mama had a, 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 a little plaque and it, it said, it was the serenity prayer. I'm sure most of you have heard the serenity prayer. And I used to look at it and say, what's up with that? You know, what is that? What, you know? But as I've gotten older, it's become more real to me, believe it or not. So I wanted to read it to you, for, for those of you who don't know it. it. It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I can't change these things. And give me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I don't know if you've ever tried to change an unchangeable. You know what I'm talking about? And it just frustrates you beyond measure because you just can't change that wife. You just can't change her. You have tried everything you know and she is unchangeable. Or the husband, of course. Not as much so, but we're a little biased, you know. You understand what I'm saying? And you just beat your hell against the proverbial brick wall trying to change it. That's how Rachel was. And then there was a man in the Bible named David, King David, and he was rejected. He suffered rejection on many avenues. He had, he had got a group of men together. They, they found him in the wilderness and, and he put them together. These men came in, they were in debt, they were discouraged. They, they were just, their lives were disintegrating and, and he got them together and encouraged them into this fighting force and they would go out and do battle against people and win, win battles. And this one time they're in, in battle and they come back to their hometown. They've been victorious. They come back to their hometown only to find out that one of their arch enemies had raided the town of Ziklag and, and taken away all the children and all their wives. And they were very, very discouraged. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, Now David was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, the, the, the key thing here is that they had taken David's wives and his kids also. But yet, he's distressed because... The people, the men who he raised up, who he fought in battle with, who he trained, who he loved, were turning against him and rejecting him because things went bad. Isn't it amazing how as long as a leader is doing well, everything is cool and everybody loves him, kissy, kissy. But then when things go bad, you want to stone them. So like NFL coaches, 
Bless their heart. Win, 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 lose, out. You know what I'm talking about? Just as long as you win, you do out. Fairweather fans and friends. And so David is rejected, but he was discouraged because those he had helped so much turned against him. And then there's a prophet called Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in all of the Bible. I mean, he would speak and, and say, don't rain, and it wouldn't rain. And I mean, God followed him around and, and, and miracles and just wonderful things. And he had these enemies called Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen of Israel, and they didn't like him one bit, and they worshiped false gods, and they had false prophets. And one day, he just got in a fight with 450 of their prophets and killed them all. I mean, that's a man of God, huh? He killed 450 people. Kabam. And, and, and you would think they was on the high, but Jezebel instead became infuriated, and she just put this word out. She said, you know what? Uh, as of this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. That's basically what she said. So he took off running. And he finally talks to God in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, and he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They're bad people. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets and, and with the sword and I alone and left. I'm the only one left. And you know what? They're seeking to take my life too. He was worn out. That, and if you keep reading, you'll find out he was just worn out. And when you're tired, when you're worn out, it's very easy to get discouraged, you get discouraged when you're barren. You get discouraged, you know, when you're trying to change the unchangeable. You get discouraged whenever, you know, people are rejecting you. And you get discouraged if you're worn slap out. And sometimes we think we have no limits on our life that somehow or another we're different than any other human being that's ever lived. But I want to tell you, sometimes we need to just take a rest. We need to be rested, reinvigorated, refueled. And he was not. Because he had seen the same thing for many, many years. And now he was worn out. And he was discouraged. I mean, he just sat down and thought, you know, I'd just soon die here. That's what discouragement will do. It'll come knocking on your door. But every time that it does, somebody's got to answer the door of your life. Every time. If, if doubt knocks on your door, faith needs to answer. If doubt answers the door where doubt is knocking and you, you get doubt and doubt together, guess what you've got? Double doubt. You got doubt. If you're discouraged and, and, and discouragement knocks on your door and you answer it and you got nothing at all, you're going to just end up double discouraged. Determination. Determination needs to answer the door. I found this little poem. It's like a poem. I don't know where it came from, but it really speaks to us today about being persistent. It says, talent will not keep you persistent. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with great talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are important. To stick in there, the stickability, because determination is this. Determination is purpose. It's purposing to accomplish God's plan in God's time, no matter what the opposition. And let me tell you something. You and I are going to have opposition in this life. We're going to be opposed by a lot of different things. Sometimes we don't know where the opposition is coming from. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes we just don't know. But there's opposition that comes. If you're moving forward in anything at all, you can be ready for opposition. 
You say, well, I'm a Christian and I don't think we ought to have opposition. <laughs> Regardless of the opposition, you press through with God's goals for your life. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that. What a determined individual. And the Bible's been written for a lot of reasons. One thing is to watch people and see how they do things and then do what they do by the power of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to this, this little, this new, this young pastor, Timothy. His, he was his son in the faith. He was mentoring him. And so he's writing to him. And he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. What he was saying was, Timothy, listen up. I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to die. You need to know that. And then he, 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 he puts forth this, just this wonderful statement about his own life. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul, tremendous preacher, apostle, father, Christian. He writes in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's writing to the people, the church there at Corinth, because other men had come in and said, we're apostles and Paul doesn't know what he's talking about and you ought to follow us, don't follow him. And, and so Paul writes in his letter to combat what is being said about him and this is what he says. Are they members, are they, are they ministers of Christ? In other words, these, these false guys, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys offering often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren people who said they were Christians but weren't, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be plenty ammunition for me to get absolutely discouraged and just cop out of everything. I mean, just I'm just out, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on now, shipwreck once is bad enough, Twice is impossible. Three, I'm out. Get beaten once, bad enough. Three times, Lord, get me out of here. I'm just going to quit. But the Apostle Paul had something. What he had was a mandate from God. When God knocked him down on the road to Damascus, saved his soul, come on, blinded him, Three days later, did a miracle to where he could see again, filled him with the Holy Spirit and gave him a mandate and said, Paul, I want you, by the way, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And he said, I want you to preach this gospel to the Gentiles. That's your mandate for your life. I'm going to bring you before kings and, and all kind of great people. That's what you're going to do. That was his mandate. So he took the mandate and the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit and he did what he had to do no matter what the opposition was. He was determined. The question is, are you determined? I mean, are you really determined? Is this thing called Christianity 
really the real thing? And what are you willing to pay for it? Are you determined? Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he really sums it all up. He says, yes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He said, we're conquerors. It was his, it was his proclamation of absolute victory when everything was said and done. He said, I've got it. I've got the crown. I've pleased the Lord. I'm ready to be poured out. So let's look at these three things that Paul did, experienced when he finished that he could look back and say, I was well-pleasing to God. The first thing he said, is said, I have fought the fight. I have been in a fight. First Timothy chapter six, he tells Timothy, he says, I want you to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. You see, you have to fight for a purpose. You don't just fight boxing the wind and just throwing out charismatic phraseology that just sounds good but lacks power. You fight for a purpose. And, and the source of our purpose, the source of what we're doing is eternal life, is the eternal things. Paul said the things you see are temporal. The things you can't see are eternal. But then, then the course, the source is eternal life, but the course we run right now is physical, is temporal. We're in this temporary life right now. It is a test for everyone. It's temporary, but it's real. I mean, you know, if you hurt, you hurt. If you're in trouble, you're in trouble. It's real. It's not, it's not some, something that you can just talk away. If you're sick, man, you're sick. You need healing, but you're sick. And so you've got this physical thing, and they run parallel. You'll, you'll always notice that. The physical and the spiritual run parallel. The, the supernatural or the eternal and, the, and the, the physical, they run parallel. The temporal, they run parallel, side by side. The thing is, is that so many people lose their eternal focus and even their eternal rewards because they cannot properly navigate their temporal surroundings. Did you get that? They lose sight of eternity. They may even lose a reward in eternity because they simply do not know how to properly navigate their temporal circumstances. It's really amazing. We have to fight. If you're not fighting, you're not winning. You have to fight. You say, well, Jesus did it all. He did it all, but you got a battle, you got to fight. I'm, I'm just telling you the way it is. You have to be determined in this battle because you don't know what's going to happen, what's going to come your way. And when it comes your way, you have to have weapons to fight. And you, you don't fight spiritual battles with fleshly or carnal or temporary. Look, it, if we could just all get a pistol and get certified and fight spiritual battles you know, and that's how some people try to do it. That's why our physical strength, our ability, our knowledge, our intellect, our experiences do not mean anything when we get in a spiritual battle. We've got to use weapons like the word of God, the promises of God. I told the men yesterday, I will never be derelict in my duty to remind you to be filled with the word of God because thereby is the promise of God, and that's what you will fight with. When a lie comes, you must answer it with truth. And if you don't answer it with truth, you'll never get a victory, and you'll never be set free. But boy, when the lie comes to you, when you answer it with truth, the promise of what God has given you, you win. But if you don't know his word, you don't know his promise, 
Thus, you don't have a weapon. You'll reach for it, and it won't be there. There will be no weapon. You have to fight by the blood of Jesus, and, and the blood of Jesus tells you who you are. The blood of Jesus tells us who we are in Christ. I am no one in myself. I can't get through eternity in myself. I have to be in Christ. And in Christ is my victory. I will never lose. The blood of Jesus has paid for my sins, paid for your sins. The blood of Jesus has made covenant with God the Father. So you now have covenant with God outside of Christ. You cannot even covenant with God. We have to fight with the testimony of our mouth. Folks, I want to tell you something. We need to start opening our mouth and not just screaming about who the president is or ain't. We need to start opening our mouth and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have the victory over sin and death because Jesus rose from the dead. I will have victory. I have faith in Jesus Christ. His word is true. His word is real. I am more than a conqueror, and I will get through this situation. You have to be able to say that. Man, we all worried about all this kind of stuff, who's going to be and what and why don't and all this. But look, that's come, that's gone, and it's come back around again. But Jesus is strong on the throne. Amen? And so we have to understand that. We have to walk in the power, live in the power, breathe in the power of the Holy Spirit. You need a relationship with the Holy Spirit where you can hear him and follow him and obey him and let him empower you and give you peace and give you direction and teach you things. The Holy Spirit does that. And then you have to have comrades in battle. Look, Ecclesiastes says this. He says, if you're all by yourself, when you fall down, there's nobody to help you up. Look, let me encourage you to find one or two good Christian friends, okay? Now, I know some people, yeah, well, you know, I'm strong. I'm blah, blah, blah. You need a couple of friends. You don't need 100 friends. Don't just go on Facebook and get everybody to like you, like you, like you, like you, like you, you know, just, you know, strange. They, they're not friends. They're just people. They just, they just want to know your business. And then you put it out there. Everybody knows your business. But, but watch this. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know why people always in my business. Where are you putting it up in there? You know? Man, I don't want to know your business. Who cares what you ate for supper three days ago? I mean, what? But watch this. You need a couple of friends that know God and that know you. You need friends who can stand with you. All right, sometimes can say, no, that is you. <laughs> well, I know, no, that, that is exactly how you act. You need friends that'll stand with you back to back in battle. And that's why we have small groups at Northwood. That is, one, that is the main reason we have small groups, to form relationships, to encourage one another. Because we know that life change comes in the context of a small group and in relationships. And so I want to I wanna really encourage you to get a couple of friends. Don't just be a Sunday come to church person. And it got quiet in the old house at 11.15. Find some friends and become comrades in battle together. He said, I fought the good fight. He said, not only that, but I have finished the race. I was thinking about finishing a race, and I was thinking about the Indianapolis 500 and the pole position. The pole position is, is the person who has the best time trial, the fastest times. They get the pole position. That's the number one position on the front row. Inside front row, best position you can start with. And then I started thinking about how many pole position drivers have won the Indianapolis 500. In other words, they have, they have the best thing. They have the best start. They have the best chance. And I found out that only 20% of pole position drivers actually win the Indianapolis 500. So it's not how you start the race that matters. It's how you finish the race. 
Reminded me of Mark chapter four where Jesus gives the parable of the sower and the seed and he talks about uh, the word of God is the seed. He said, I am the sower, the son of man is the sower. And he said, the ground, that is the, 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 the hearts of people. And so he gave four different scenarios, 25% each. The first one, he said, was so hard that the seed just stayed on top and the birds came and they ate it instantly. He said, the birds are like the devil. They just take the word of God instantly from a hard heart. And then he said the second one, though, they receive it. The heart receives it, but only for a little while. And then the cares of this world come up and they choke the word of God out and it doesn't bear any fruit. Now we're at 50%. He said the next 25%, they receive the word with gladness also, comes into their heart. But then persecution, trouble comes, circumstances, situations come, opposition comes, and they're not determined enough to press through. They have no, no root and so they blow away. And finally, he got down to 25%. And he said, but there's 25% that their heart is soft, and when the word is sown in their heart, it finds root, it grows up, and it bears fruit. 25%. 25%. That's what Jesus said. Now, we can argue over the percentage rates, but I can tell you this. It does not matter how you start because I have seen people with a desperately hard heart eventually soften up and bear fruit for God. And I have seen people who get all excited and dance around in circles and scream and say how great everything is. And two weeks later, you can't find them ever. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish the race. And this race has many obstacles. You know, for the last three and a half years or so, maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more, I read all the prayer requests that you write in on the bottom of the connect cards that you turn in. And then online, people send prayer requests. And I've seen that they, they operate in three major categories, really three. The first one is in relationships. There are obstacles. We have to be determined in our relationships. Families are in so much trouble, so many, so many problems in the family, my goodness, divorce and abuse and all kind of things that are happening. And we have to be determined to press through even in our relationships. The second thing, it has everything to do with money, finances. Man, people need a job. Well, I need this money. I can't do this. I need this. I need the Lord to make a miracle. I need this. I need that. All about money because people are in debt and their stewardship is not proper or they're in greed and they just got themselves in a hole they can't climb out of. And then the third thing is health. Every imaginable direction of health, physical health, spiritual health, mental health, drug abuse, all these things. I need help with that. I've got a family member here. I'm, I, need, I need this help. I, I need that. One of the prayer requests that we get the most is from people, and you might be sitting here, so if you are, listen up. It says something like this. Pray that I will commit to Jesus. Well, let me help you. If you've ever written that and you're sitting right in this room, let me help you. Hey, let's not pray. Let's just commit. Just commit. Before you leave here today, you have a chance. Just commit to Jesus, and I guarantee you one thing. If you'll commit to Jesus, he will commit to you, and he will change your life forever. He can be counted on. It's that, you say, it's not that simple, Pastor. You don't understand my circumstances. It is that simple. I understand your circumstances. Jesus is powerful. He can change anything, and he'll change you first of all. And once he changes you, most everything changes because it is you. You are you. That is you. 
You have, to, you have to fight. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse five, he puts it just in such this wonderful way. He says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied or worn you out, how can you compete with horses? In other words, if you can't win the little battles, how are you gonna win the big battles? So I suggest that you start winning the little battles. Take it a little bit at a time. Win those little battles for when the big battle comes. My, my daughter-in-law, Nadine, she, Pastor Jordan's wife, she, she gets up every morning at like 5 a.m. And, and she runs a lot, like 10 miles at 5 o'clock in the morning. I said, Nadine, it's like the middle of the night, you know. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. But you know what she's doing? She's training for a marathon. They ran the other morning 17 miles in the cold wind. It's like, dude, man, I have trouble getting him to go to the restroom. You know, you're out there running, man. But she's preparing, her and her friends are preparing. Some of you in here, you're preparing for a marathon. And so, you know, if you can't run 10 miles at five in the morning in January, you're not gonna run 26 miles in February. You get? You take the little bites, you win the little battles, and then you go after the big battles. Trying to win a battle and be determined without preparation is like my golf game. I watch professionals on television and then I get my clubs and I just believe and know that when I get on the course, I'm gonna hit the ball like them. And I don't. And after about three holes, the guys I'm playing with say, no, it is you. <laughs> so I fix my golf game. I am doing wonderful. I just quit. I wasn't determined, I just quit. But that's golf, not life, and not eternity. And so we have to stay the course, your own personal course. Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course. And then the third thing he said is I kept the faith. I kept the faith. You know, you have to keep the faith. When you lose faith, you lose everything. Now listen to me very carefully. When Peter was about to deny Jesus, Jesus got along with him, looked at him and said, Peter, let me talk to you. He said, Satan has asked for you and he wants to sift you like wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail you. He didn't pray for anything else. He didn't pray all the prayers. We pray, oh, God, been do this, been He said, I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail you. Because Jesus knows that when the devil, a friend, a situation steals your faith, you have nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. Without faith, it is impossible to win any battle. You must keep the faith. I found this old writing, it was written by a missionary who was in Africa from 1920 to 1940. Some of you have heard it before. We're gonna put it up on the board, but I'm gonna read it in Cajun Overdrive because somehow or another when I read this thing, I've gotta read it the way I read it. If I read it slow, I just, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? So, I've, so you mind if I just put it in Cajun Overdrive and just read it? You ready? You can follow with me on the, on the projectors. You ready? I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. 
The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small plannings, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. Lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road may be long, narrow, my, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up up or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Come on now. Woo! You have to keep the faith. You have to keep the faith. You cannot let situations and trouble and despair and life's troubles and situations and circumstances that want to beat you down and discourage you, you must stay determined. You must plow. Somebody once said, it's too wet to plow, but we're going to plow anyhow. You got to keep plowing. You got to keep pressing. No matter what your mama did or your daddy did or your brother or your wife's not living for God or your cousin doesn't like you or the people on the job are despising you, you press through no matter what. There is a reward at the end if you keep the faith. And we have to keep the faith because we have to give the faith to the next generation. You want to give your faith to your kids? You have to keep the faith. They have to see you living in faith. They have to see you overcoming situations. They're watching how you handle discouragement. They're watching you whenever somebody says something to you and they're at your knee and they're looking up and wondering, how is daddy going to react to this? How is mom? What about in the house? How is mom and daddy exercising their faith in front of the kids? It's not just about us. We keep the faith for ourselves. Yes. I'm glad that Peter kept his faith even though Satan wanted to sift him. I'm glad that Jesus got an answered prayer. That Peter's faith did not fail him. Oh, he took a dip, yes. But he came out encouraged and determined to preach this gospel. And I'm so glad he did because because he did, I am able to do also. Keep the faith. Now you say, Pastor, how are we going to get this determination going? I mean, I'm kind of like a laid back dude that, you know, I'm kind of just, I'm just not very determined. I just kind of go with the flow and just hope that everything works out. That's where a lot of people are. They just hoping, ain't praying, because if they were praying, they'd get determined, just hoping that things just kind of work out. If we just kind of keep coming to church, but you have to be determined. So I'm gonna give you three things real quick about that, all right? You ready? You're gonna have to press on through every trial knowing that you come out better on the other side. You have to be determined. In other words, the trying of your faith works patience, and patience has its, its work and that everything works out, and then you're, you're mature. The trial is for a purpose. If you don't see the purpose 
and stay determined through it, you waste the trial. So guess what God's got to do? Man, I got to bring him through it again. He just didn't get it. You be determined to go through every trial. You have to press on through all circumstances knowing that Jesus is with you in the trouble. Hey, folks, we got trouble. We have trouble. But Jesus is with you in the trouble. You read through the Bible. The Bible in Psalms says, the Lord is a strong and mighty tower and the righteous run into there and it really means when they're in trouble. You run into Jesus. The three Hebrew kids that we talked about in Man Up yesterday, when, when the king came and looked, he said, I, I, you put three of them in there, but I see a fourth man in there and he looks like the son of man. You know who was in the fire with those three Hebrew kids? Jesus was up in the house, man. He's with you in the trouble. Acknowledge him that he's with you in the trouble. Number three, you have to press on through every season of your life knowing that in the end, your reward is with Jesus. Come on, folks. I want you to lift up your eyes a little bit today, and I want you to see a little bit past the temporal, a little bit past the horizon. Get a glimpse of eternity that the day is coming, that you'll stand with Jesus. And you'll be glad, you'll be glad that you did like Paul when he said, I press towards the mark of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. I've not yet finished, I've not yet completely apprehended for what I've been apprehended for. In other words, Jesus grabbed a hold of me and I hadn't grabbed a hold of everything yet, but you know what I'm doing? I'm pressing forward and I will see the day. Paul was absolutely determined I can just about imagine when those men at Ephesus stoned him and brought him outside of the city and threw him in that dusty trail, I can imagine when he came back to consciousness, well, he did. He got back up and he walked back into the city. That is determined. If you read your one-year Bible this morning, Proverbs chapter four said it this way, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked by temporal things that have no eternal reward. Jesus didn't get sidetracked, and I'm so thankful for that. The Bible says that his face was set like a flint towards Jerusalem. I mean, he was just set like a flint. Everything else began to fade. The closer he got to the cross, the less things were in his way. He stayed determined. Peter denied him. He stayed determined. Judas betrayed him. He stayed determined. Everybody left him. He stayed determined. He just kept pressing forth. They beat him, they mocked him, they lied about him, he stayed pressing forward. They drug him to a hill and laid him on a cross and nailed his hands and his feet and he stayed determined. Even when people were saying, come down off that cross, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? He stayed determined until finally he gave up the spirit. He died for you and me. He still was determined, he rose from the dead and that's why we're sitting in a soft chair today in a nice church. Because Jesus was fully determined. He fought the good fight of faith. 
He finished the course and he kept your faith. Let's bow our heads together right now. You who know Jesus right now, you've been walking with him. I know that discouragement comes. I have been discouraged many times. Many times. But my discouragement has never changed how awesome Jesus is. And you may be in a season right now, something just is not right. Maybe it's hard. I want you to look up a little bit, church folk. Just look up on the horizon and just say, Jesus, you're awesome. And you just begin to love on him. Right now, I want you to just get along with God. Right now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, you're just taking a moment to get along with your God if you're discouraged right now. If you're not, just begin to pray for people that you know that are. Just spend this time reinforcing your faith in God. Lord, I'm in a battle right now, but I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. Maybe you're halfway through the course. And man, it's not everything you signed up for. That's right, just stay the course. That's right, just stay the course. And keep the faith. Pray to your God. Stay in Him. And in the end, you win. But then some of you, you came into this room today you're seeking after God. <laughs> you're like me. Once you realize you didn't know God, you, you had to find him. Where do I find God? How do I find God? How do I live for God? Well, it's so simple that millions of people stumble over it every day. You simply have to realize that you need to be saved. You need a savior. You're lost and undone, just like I was. And sin has dominance over your life. And you simply want to be free. You want a new life. You want another chance. You want to know God. If that's you, let's get serious now just for a moment. If that's you, and that is you, that is you, I want you to go ahead and just say, Jesus, I love you. Just begin to draw close to him. Come on, just, just, just try it. If you draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. And if that's you and you say, Pastor, I want a relationship with God. I truly do. I don't understand it all, but I, I, I want to start this race. This is what I'm asking you to do. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want you to simply just shoot your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray with me. Just that's one lady right here. Thank you so much. There, there again, there, there. Yes, there. Yes, there. Yes, over to my right. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, over to my left. Yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. That's right. Thank you, sir. Now keep your eyes closed and just listen to my voice. Each one of you who just raised your hands, I want to tell you right now that you will have the victory, that you will overcome, that Jesus will be with you and he will help you, and that you will find a good family of people and good friends that will encourage you. You will not be alone from this day forward. You are joining the fellowship of the unashamed. And everything we just read, you will do because God will help you. But the first thing you have to do is get in the race. So let me lead you in a simple prayer. This is gonna help you. You ready? I want you to just repeat these words after me because it's so important that you speak them. Simply say this right after me. Say, Father in heaven, would you forgive me? I've sinned against you. Only you, Lord, 
I ask you to forgive me and come live inside of my life. Change me from the inside out. I want to be a follower of Jesus. So I commit fully. The best I know how, I commit fully. And I thank you for saving me and changing me. And I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen, and amen. Come on, Lord. Thank you so much. Come on, let's be determined. Come if on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.